Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, Experience, and happy birthday. Two years is worth celebrating. It's an act of grace that a church that started on November 3rd, 2019 is still here Two years later, despite a global pandemic, whether you were part of our launch team helping us pray through strategy, serving at welcome gatherings, and at times, literally pouring out your blood, sweat, and tears into this project, or you're joining today for the first time, thank you for investing your hour with us. I wanted to spend time this month taking a dive into our mission, as well as our values of grace, community, and purpose. We haven't taught through these topics in two years on a Sunday, and man, have things shifted since our opening weekend. Our mission here at Experience is to help people experience God's love. And what drives this is the core belief that God loves every one of us with no exceptions. This isn't an original idea we came up with. We see this spelled out in one of the most common verses proclaimed from the Bible, and that's John 3.16. The words may be familiar to you. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And when the author John says the world, he is referring to the physical world and its inhabitants that God created. This includes you and me. This includes those that attend experience as well as everyone else in the local community. Yes, God loves this world. Our mission can challenge us in two ways. One, we may question, does God really love everyone? This is such a foreign concept for us. We may find ourselves pushing back at the notion, does God actually love me? Plenty of people find it hard to believe that God sincerely loves them personally because every single one of us, we're well aware of our history, our hang-ups, and our habits. Habits are those things we keep doing despite knowing that they're not the best for us, that it causes pain to ourselves and others. This could be our outbursts, our addictions, our overworked schedules. We all have habits we wish we could change. These habits may be the things that keep us from doing the things that we wish we were doing. These neutral habits fill our time and prevent us from doing the better things in life, like investing in relationships, taking care of ourselves physically, strengthening our faith. Hang-ups, those are those core beliefs that we can't seem to get past. We get hung up on loving people that are just too different than us politically, how they see vaccinations, their work ethics, maybe worst of all, football teams, right? In the religious realm, we can have hang-ups on the way we think about God. We can see God as oblivious to our plight in life. We may see God as not loving because how could this have happened to me if God was actually loving? Maybe you've said, if God was good and loved me, how could he have allowed to happen? Or why didn't God answer that prayer? I was sincere. Our spiritual hang-ups that I'm talking about are beliefs that we can never seem to get past that allow us to connect genuinely with God. And by our history, these are our personal choices from our past. These are things that have occurred that we just want to keep hidden and buried. And every time we think about them, we wonder, could God love me after I did X before? Again, we may want to believe that God loves us. When we look back in the mirror, we struggle with our faith in God or believing there is a God. Because why would he love someone like me, the real me? 
So again, when John says, God loves the world, perhaps we have a really hard time seeing ourselves as part of John's audience. We're really a part of the world John's talking about. <clears throat> Let's go back to John's audience. Now, some of us get that. We're thankful to be part of this world. We may have a harder time questioning if others are part of the world John is mentioning. Why? Because we're well aware of other people's habits, hang-ups in history, aren't we? We may find ourselves thinking, I think that person has some serious work to do before God could love them. I know what they did last summer, and whoo, that was a doozy. You apply your own checklist to others to see if God would love them or not. Now, I'm not saying we do this consciously, but sometimes, have you ever had a thought where you could say, could God really love a person that did this, or believes that, or thinks this way? So again, the first challenge as we live out our mission as a community is accepting the fact that we're loved by God and that others are loved by God. The second challenge of living out our mission as a community to help others experience God's love is taking responsibility to live this out collectively. You know, it's just not my responsibility as the pastor to love other people. We're all called to do that, with no exceptions. As we read John 3.16, when it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, we see clearly that love costs us something. Now, God's love is others-focused. I love the way my life application puts it on the footnote there. It says, God's love is not static or self-centered. It reaches out and draws others in. Here, God sets the pattern of true love, the basis for all love relationships. When you love someone dearly, you're willing to give to them freely, to the point of self-sacrifice. When we share the good news with others, our love must be like Jesus, willing to give up our own comfort and security so that others might join us in receiving God's love. You know, we love the idea of loving until it involves sacrifice. This is hard, especially when we think of people that we think are really hard to love. It's a beautiful statement, looks good on a t-shirt. Loving others feels good to say, but it's different when you start thinking about the people God has in your circles of influence. When it becomes every single person in your family, in your classroom, in your workspace, your neighborhood, the PTA, the church community, that's when the mission is challenging. And you may be thinking, really? God, do you want me to love them? Is it really my responsibility to help them experience your love? And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. It's that simple. But it's also that difficult. That's why helping others experience God's love is at the core of our very existence. We need this mission to be at the center of every decision we make. Again, not only as an organization, but as a collection of individuals as we go out on our separate paths. When it comes to living out this mission, we ask a really practical question. As I think about you, what does love require me to do? As you're sitting in a class or at work or at a meeting and you glance around the room and you ask that question, as I think about you, what does love require me to do? Sometimes this question is easy to answer, right? Like I'm walking into Wawa, someone's behind me, What's love require me to do? I should hold the door open for them. They're happy about it. Well done. But there's times it's complicated. Like what if you overhold the door? You're a bit overzealous. They're just pulling into the parking lot. They're just getting ready to get out of their car. They're about 20 seconds out. So you hold the door and you smile. They're not happy because they're now rushing and they pull a hammy on the way to get to the door that you held too early. That's not loving them. You get the complexity of loving someone, right? Sometimes it's not just intuitive what we think we should do, but it takes time to stop and process. As I think about you, what does love require me to do may involve deeper thinking. You get it. It's simple. But that doesn't mean it's easy. As I think about you, 
what does love require me to do can be hard when the person is a challenge or they're rude or ungrateful. You may need to appeal to a higher power. As I think about you, Jesus, make me do what I should do, right? That's the heart about WWJD line. You may have heard those or seen those bracelets. As I'm interacting with you, what would Jesus do? The point is, we need to live out this mission as a church, both corporately and individually. This is how we impact our community. The more active we live out this mission, the greater our collective impact in our area. Yes, we want to honor the community that is already here, but also we recognize that we exist also for those that need to understand that God loves them too. I think how well we love others is a huge indicator of how we understand God's love for us and others. Let me say that again. How well we love others is a huge indicator of how we understand God's love for us and others. If we don't see ourselves as loved by God, we're not going to love others well. If we don't see others as lovable, we won't love them. What I want us to do today is to explore one particular interaction that should influence our understanding of God's love for us and others. We're going to be looking at someone that felt overlooked by God and a group of religious people wanted to make sure that he actually felt that way. We won't be exploring WWJD, what would Jesus do? This is a WDJD encounter. What did Jesus do? Let's look at Luke 5 together and read this text. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi had a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them, but the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, Healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. I'd like to now unpack this text together. It starts off with the words later. And this first word is later. So let's discuss what was happening earlier on in that chapter. In the previous 26 verses, we see three accounts of Jesus ministering to people in the area, all of which would have been surprising interactions that a Jewish teacher would actually do, like Jesus. The chapter begins with Jesus calling fishermen to be his closest followers. Rather than seeking people of influence in society, people that were high in culture and education, Jesus chose everyday people of the earth, fishermen. Next, we see Luke. He captures Jesus healing a man with leprosy. Leprosy at that time was a very serious disease with no new cure. This condition caused high social anxiety because it was very contagious. Those with advanced cases lost skin tissue, so they would be distorted. People with leprosy were social outcasts. Yet, rather than avoid the leopard, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the untouchable. He loved someone that no doubt felt unlovable by God. Lastly, we see Jesus heal a paralytic. As Jesus was being known for healing physical conditions, crowds were gathering around him to be healed, and some men carried a paralyzed friend to him. But rather than simply heal the man from his paralysis, which he did indeed do, he healed him of a deeper, more internal issue, a need for forgiveness. So with that backdrop, Luke then says, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi. When Luke says that he saw Levi, he could have chosen any number of words to discuss Jesus seeing Levi, much like we do today. But the word that Luke chose means to look intently at or to behold. 
And this implies unblinking attention. Jesus fixed his eyes on him. This is huge. Jesus was looking intently at someone that was accustomed to being overlooked because of his habits, his hang-ups, and his history. Levi's profession was an alienating profession. He was a tax collector. And it's hard for us to understand how tax collectors were viewed at the time of Jesus. There were several kinds of tax collectors employed by the Roman government. Levi was a publican, and he collected the tax from people as they traveled along Roman roads. People despised this profession because tax collectors, they had a rate that they had to charge for Rome's benefit, but any profits that they made in addition went straight to their pocket. This was an especially burdensome tariff on farmers and fishermen walking on or hauling produce past his booth. Imagine a first century Ebenezer Scrooge of sorts, except this guy liked to party. He was willing to squeeze as much money as he could from his countrymen to improve his own financial position. You know, when you saw a tax collector coming, you wouldn't feel a sense of sorrow. You would feel a sense of deep disdain. Anger would boil because he was exploiting your community, your family. Hatred's a strong word, but it's the right track that you'd be on as you saw Levi. But in Levi's case as a Jew, he was especially despised for working for the Reuben government. He was viewed not only as a thief, but as a traitor. And he was being rejected by his own people. If he had the desire to attend the synagogue or their version of church, he wouldn't have been permitted to enter because of his choice of occupation. All this to say, tax collectors were the lowest of the low during that time. They were treated as if they didn't exist. And rather than look intently at tax collectors, most people did their best to look, overlook them or to avoid looking at them. In most people's minds, John 3.16 would not apply to tax collectors. And I'm sure Levi felt that way himself that day. He would have felt unlovable by God, and good religious people made sure he felt that way. Levi's habits were that he was selfish, self-serving, and greedy. His hang-ups were, I have to look out for me because no one else is willing to do that. In his history, well, he continues and has taken money from all people all over that community. They had stories about him. So as a tax collector, he had reason to believe that Jesus was against him, that Jesus didn't want anything to do with him. And I cannot help but wonder how Levi would have felt when he noticed Jesus was staring at him. You know, Jesus was a religious teacher. Word had been circulating about his teachings, his miracles, his influence. He deserved respect. But here he was looking intently at Levi. Living in that region, Levi presumably knew about Jesus. He may have even charged him taxes before. Yet there he was, caught in Jesus' gaze. Then a look from afar became an approach. What was Jesus going to say to him? Can you even imagine? If I was in that crowd, I would have been grinning ear to ear, just anticipating what Jesus might say to him. Would he launch on him? Think for a moment about all the things Jesus could have said. He could have said, hey, 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 Levi, what am I going to do with you? In the kind of tone that your teacher would say with you when you kept talking in class, right? Maybe he would say something like, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. You'd still hear a parental tone there, right? Maybe a, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Those are painful expressions. Yet Jesus' words were not a rebuke. Here's what he said. He said, follow me and be my disciple. What? Follow me? When Jesus said, follow me, this wasn't an invitation just to come hang out a bit. They knew that this was an invitation to learn from Jesus to be accepted by him, to be instructed by him on how to live a new and different life, to come and join Jesus' community of disciples. 
He would have been caught completely off guard, wondering why me? I'm the last person Jesus should be asking to follow him. Yet how did he respond? Luke says, he got up, left everything, and followed him. But why would he go? I think it's because when everyone else in this, his entire world told Levi to get away, Jesus said, follow me. Again, when everyone else in his entire world overlooked him, wanted to distance themselves from them, and Jesus said, come to me, follow me. A man with his history full of harsh rejection, he couldn't resist a welcoming invitation. Think about that. He got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. He went from being an outsider to an insider. And not because of anything he did, not for anything he was, he became an insider by simply accepting an invitation to follow. There's nothing noted by Luke saying he deserved the invitation. We don't see that earlier that day, the tax collector, he started letting people go free of charge, and he started feeling guilty. So then, so then, because of this good behavior, this good change, then Jesus stared at him. No. Levi was in the middle of doing the thing that everyone hated. He was collecting taxes, and that's when Jesus initiated the interaction. Levi didn't clean himself up, then Jesus came. No, Jesus came up to him when he was doing the thing that caused so much separation. Jesus reached out to him, and Levi left everything. This implies his workstation, his job, his income, his status, his lifestyle, his security, his identity, everything. So what did Levi do next? It says, later, Levi had a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor, and many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. Filled with gratitude, he had a big party. And who did he choose to invite? His friends. Levi didn't say, hey, Jesus, I want you to come over and fill my house with the kind of people I should be hanging out with from now on because I'm a follower of you. He also didn't say, Jesus is coming over to my house. Who can I invite? Oh, let me look at my list here. Man, I want to impress him, or at least I don't want to be embarrassed when Jesus is here. I can't bring Mike because he can't handle his alcohol. I can't bring Anthony because, well, he always takes jokes a little too far. He'll embarrass me. No. What does he do? He invites his friends to meet Jesus. He has Mike and Anthony over and a whole lot more. He invited people that he loved, cared about, yet people who would have also been considered outsiders by religious people of that day, people that were marginalized, rejected, and looked down on. Rather than hide these friends from Jesus, or hide Jesus from his friends, he brought these two worlds together. I love that. Levi must have understood that he was loved by Jesus, and that his friends, that also fell in love by God, needed to experience God's love too. He made this connection. Levi must have seen something so unique about Jesus, because he was willing to integrate these two opposite worlds. Levi, he was going very public about his decision to follow Jesus. And it was obvious to him that Jesus desperately wanted to see people that he actually did love reconnect with God. But there were some uninvited guests there too. Let me introduce you to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? The Pharisees and teachers of religious law were convinced that God loved them and they were convinced that Jesus should not be hanging out with people like tax collectors. They were really uptight, rule followers. They were super strict, ultra-conservative religious leaders of Jesus' day. If you were to write a list of behaviors that you thought would make Jesus smile, they did it. They were known for their prayer life, memorizing the Bible, fasting, attending services. They were super serious about religion. But the problem is, 
They did all the right things for all the wrong reasons. They thought God would love them because of how they conducted their behavior. And instead, they became separatists. They became elitists. They believed that people outside of their religious system should not be associated with. They were at this great banquet, but rather than mixing with the crowd, they were separating themselves and complaining. Then they asked Jesus the question to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Their question in effect is, Why do you like making the tax collectors and sinners feel like they're loved by God? In the context of our mission statement here at Experience, it would be, why are you helping them experience God's love? They're scum. Don't associate with them. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were convinced that God didn't want anything to do with tax collectors and other people with a reputation for sinning. Unfortunately, many people still feel a lot like the Pharisees. We identify some people as too far gone for God. Rather than engage with them, we label it as good boundaries. We can deem some people as too messy with their addictions, their emotions, or trauma to love them in unique ways and lead them in a better place. You don't have to look very far to find a story of someone that has left the church community because they felt unloved after enduring a season of pain. Unfortunately, this could be when they began feeling rejected by God as well, or unlovable by God. So how did Jesus respond to the religious leader's question? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. Jesus used a few shocking statements there that may have caught Matthew and his friends off guard. Jesus was calling them sick, and, and he said he was calling them to repentance. This is uncomfortable language for all of us, right? This is like, ouch, Jesus, are you sure you want to say that they're sick? Are you really going to ask them to change their ways? And Jesus' response doesn't deny that the Pharisees have some element of health. He's stating that the people at this party are sick and need healing. He's acknowledging that they sin, which means they do things that are indeed wrong. And he's calling them to repent, which means to follow the ways and change their direction, just like Levi. The response from Jesus communicates several things that I think we need to hear today. The first one is Jesus loves every one of us despite our sickness. God's well aware of our habits, our hang-ups, and our history. Every one of us has things in our lives that Jesus would like to heal, but what's critical to remember is that Jesus wants to heal us, that he loves us. Jesus doesn't ignore our habits or hang-ups or history, but he's willing to work with them. He can lead us out of our past and into a better future. The people at Matthew's party thought they were beyond saving. Maybe today that's how you feel. They were the ones, like some of you have said, if I walk into a synagogue or church, I wouldn't, first of all, be allowed to be in there. And if I did make it in there, lightning would strike and the place would go up in flames. But Jesus is like, no, it wouldn't. I can't handle whatever you bring. I'm the good physician and can heal sickness. You know, experience is a church where everyone should experience God's love and healing presence. Church should never be a place that we go to in order to impress others. It's better seen as a hospital to find healing. At experience, this is the kind of journey we're on together. The second thing we need to understand is it's not about us versus them. It's about us and him. You know, the Pharisees in this story thought they had it all figured out. Not only did they see themselves as loved by God, they were convinced that they knew who wasn't. They certainly embodied God is for us and against them. We're like the Pharisees when we list all the good things we do and compare ourselves to someone else that we do not think measures up. You know, I'm not so bad. At least I'm not that like that person. They don't stand a chance with God, or how could they be loved by God? But friends, we need to focus on our relationship with Jesus and encourage other people to do the same. 
You know who Jesus invited to follow him? It was Levi. And where was he? He was at a tax booth. Do you know who Levi eventually became? He became the author of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew took the skills he learned in keeping tax ledgers and penned the words of the book of Matthew found in our New Testament Bibles today. Matthew, who saw himself as unlovable by God, found a purpose that has impacted this entire world. How amazing is that? You know, maybe you find yourself feeling like Matthew did, unlovable, overlooked, detested by God, but I hope you understand that God loves you and wants to connect and heal you. If you find yourself prideful like the Pharisees, maybe this is a little punch in the gut today to think maybe I've counted some people too far gone. I hope you'll see your own need to humble yourself and help others understand that they are loved by God, that you can be on mission helping other people to experience God's love in practical ways. So whether you've been with us for years or for minutes, you're welcome to join us on this mission of helping others experience God's love. Wherever you find yourself today or this week, as you think about those around you, say a little prayer and then say, as I think about you, what would love require me to do? Love the experience. What I'd like you to do now is just take 30 seconds, reflect on that statement, as I think about you, what would love require me to do? And ask God to bring a couple people to mind that you can live out our mission to help them understand that they are loved by God. Take two minutes to reflect now. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know Him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. 
We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.